From VT Digger, I'm Mike Dougherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, a new model for mental health crisis response. While an ongoing conversation about police reform plays out both nationally and locally, COVID-19 has led to its own pandemic of mental health issues. In response, some central Vermont police departments have been trying a new method of integrating mental health services into law enforcement. Is it working? Our reporter Aaron Patenko has more. Aaron, thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm curious what led you in the first place to look into how police are responding to people in mental health crises. Why now? Yeah, well, in 2020, I wrote a story on uh, instances of fatal force in Vermont where police had killed some Vermonter. And many of those uses had some connection with mental health. The person was in a mental health crisis. Maybe they were on drugs or other reasons like that. So at the time, I looked a little bit into the ways that police were trying to establish a better way of doing things. And one of the things people were discussing as an option, but one that's fairly used in Vermont at this point, is having an embedded social worker in a police department to help them to respond when someone is in crisis. When I heard that Montpelier and Barry had actually gotten one of these social workers, I decided to talk to the police chiefs and kind of hear how they were doing. Uh, Brian Pete, Montpelier Police Department, Chief of Police. Tim Bombardier, I'm the Chief of Police for the city of Barry. And talk to the embedded social worker herself, Susan Lemaire. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> I'm Erin. Hi, Erin. To hear her perspective on her work and how she interacts with those people in crisis. Got it. I'm Susan Lemire. I am an embedded uh, mental health clinician and I work as a co-responder. Um, so primarily what I do is go with police when there's a call with a mental health component and see if I can offer assistance, which might look like making a referral or it might look like emotional support or it might look like any number of things, depending on what the circumstances end up being. When you say you go, like you, you actually physically are standing next to the officer, walking up to the situation. Yes, with the caveat that, you know, police are in charge of the safety aspect. And that is one of the reasons that I really value doing the work with them, is that when something reaches the level of being a call to police to come and assist, there's usually a safety component that, um, you know, they're attending to the safety, and that really frees me to focus on the clinical piece. Do you wear a uniform? I do not. Okay. This is my uniform today. <laughs> Tomorrow it will look like something different. So uh, what is kind of going through your head when you're going for a call with an officer, maybe for someone that you haven't met before, because I'm sure there are probably some calls where you have met the person before. But, you know, you're kind of dumping into an unknown situation. You don't know exactly what someone's mental health or mental situation could look like. So how do you deal with that? Right. I mean, very much in line with what officers tell me that they are doing. I'm looking for any clues from the call-in um, and from any information that I may have about what somebody might need, how many people are on the scene, whether there's more than one person having a crisis, um, whether we've responded to that address before and, and what that's been for, so that I can have the mindset to the extent that any of us can with what information we have going in about what I might be offering or, or how I might be trying to assist. 
How is this different from the traditional model? How has this typically been handled by police? The kind of typical interaction that's been described to me is, you know, a member of the public notices someone in distress. They call 911 because that's kind of the first place that your mind goes when you want to get help for somebody. And the police officer shows up and maybe this person is committing a crime technically. Maybe the police officer really doesn't know how to help this person because they're not sufficiently trained or meant to handle someone in a mental health crisis. So, you know, maybe that person in a dire situation could, you know, end up getting dragged out of that public place to get to the ER against their will. Or, you know, in, in worst case scenario, they get arrested and end up in jail when you know, they're really more meant to get into mental health treatment. And many of the police officers I spoke to agreed that the goal is hopefully to get someone help, to get someone into mental health treatment or some form of mental health intervention, preferably at a lower level than dragging them to the emergency room against their will. So how does this model of having a social worker embedded in the police department work differently? How does that lead to better outcomes according to them? Yeah, so this isn't a completely new idea in Washington County. Uh, Washington County Mental Health Services has partnered with the police department in the past to kind of send their clinicians when somebody is in crisis. But Susan is a little bit different because she's like working so closely with the police. Often, you know, she's on the scene or arriving on the scene at the same time that police officers are. And, you know, she said she just kind of starts by approaching them and saying, hi, I'm Susan. This might be kind of a weird question, but how do you actually introduce yourself? So I usually go with, hi, I'm Susan, (laughs) first. Part of what goes into an introduction depends on how much distress somebody is in. I will sometimes say I work alongside police. I'm here to offer support and assistance. Um, And then sometimes I use the clinician term. I'm often trying to gauge, you know, who... I'm responding to and whether they'll have a framework from what I mean if I say I'm a clinician. But when the time is right for me to do so, I let them know that I have two connections within the system, one with the mental health world and one with the police department, so that they know, you know who, who, who I am, that I'm a civilian, but that I've got kind of the, the foot in each of the worlds and that I'm a liaison sometimes between the two. She tries to talk to the person. She tries to understand what they're going through. And, you know, she has more training to understand what mental health is and and how it can shape somebody when they're in crisis. And she tries to connect them with some form of resources, you know, Washington County mental health or to, you know, maybe they even have a provider. Maybe they have a loved one that can help them to navigate that situation. So it's kind of a form of de-escalating the situation and getting that person kind of out of a crisis without worsening the interaction between them and the police. Really, it could look a thousand ways, but some of the things that I'm looking for, does somebody seem to have an urgency for just telling someone what's happening? Sometimes that's the most important thing right off the bat. Um, Sometimes I'm looking at what does the person's breathing look like? Are they physically shaking? Are they breathing? You know, sometimes my first intervention with someone is, can I get you to take a few deep breaths with me? Sometimes, depending on the situation, it might be, um, and a good example of this would be that I sometimes go when there's been an untimely death. And that 
might be a situation where the first thing I'm thinking is, is there someone I can call for you? Is there someone that you would like to be here with you? Because that's a situation where, you know, that's not a mental health issue. That is a natural response to a tragic event that somebody likely needs support, and they're going to better get it from somebody in their natural support system than from a mental health professional if they are if their response is within the range of you know what would be a a normal response if they're aware of what's going on and if their emotions are strong but not carrying them away then you know oftentimes they respond best to having the people that they know and feel comfortable with now of course Susan also says that she appreciates having the police there or as an option, because if she or somebody else is is having a safety risk, there's still kind of the option of bringing the officers in to protect people. Mm -hmm. What do we know so far about how well the system is working? It's hard to say in definitive numbers. I'm not sure if anyone is currently tracking like number of interventions and what their outcomes are. Certainly, it seems like the police chief is very happy with it. Since I've been here, I haven't heard of any calls for service in which that there was a mental health component that we've made an arrest on. From, from our department's standpoint, from how we look at it, the goal, unless there is like a severe criminal nexus to it, we're not looking to arrest anybody. We're only looking to try to get somebody treatment and help. I spoke with Chief Brian Pete of the Montpelier Police Department. He moved here from New Mexico in the middle of 2020. Uh, I think he started June, right after the George Floyd protest started. And what he said coming into the department is that, you know, a lot of these officers are expected to handle a large volume of calls. So they don't have a lot of time to handle a situation. If they show up and someone's in the middle of a mental health crisis, you know, these police officers are already feeling overwhelmed or overburdened. And they don't really feel equipped to handle this problem. Hmm. Well, I think that the challenge is just the amount of time that it may take to de-escalate somebody, and and having a, a unique understanding and a skill set and actually uh, emotional intelligence, if you will, to to know what you're looking at. And you know, other chiefs seems to agree with him. Uh, Chief Bombardier of the Barry Police Department said that he feels like. Police are expected to be a jack of all trades, which means that they're a master of none. You know, they're called in to deal with mental health, with domestic violence, with um, substance use, and they don't necessarily have the framework to handle those issues. You can't look at any one thing. You can't look at the police and say you got to be you got to be everything. You can't look at a mental health clinician and say you've got to be everything. You can't look at a community outreach person and do the same thing. It needs to be a team approach. And without a team approach, it's going to fail because you're going to have people getting hurt, people not being safe, people in need being put in situations where they don't need to be and ending up in the criminal system where they don't need to be. How does each of them feel about the position that Susan is in and the changes that have come with having a person who's more thoroughly embedded in the police department? Yeah, I think that they are very relieved, frankly. All they kept saying was that they wish they had more of her, you know, because she can't be a 24-7 worker. (laughs) They are maybe even working on hiring or hoping to find the funding for another Susan, which considering that a lot of other departments don't even have one embedded clinician, you know, (laughs) hopefully they 
can get a hold of her. But it really shows like how much it matters to them to have someone who can intervene in these situations and help someone who's in crisis, who can follow up with that person and make sure that they can get help. Because often, you know, these these people, they're dealing with them again and again because they go into crisis, they end up in the ER, um, they're in the hospital for as long as they can be involuntarily held, and then they just get discharged. And, you know, there's often nothing to stop that person from going back into that cycle again, uh, especially with the general shortage of mental health treatment in the state, you know, long waiting list for therapists, a long waiting list for all kinds of mental health uh, help. It's hard for people to get more long-term um, treatment for their issues. And you can kind of see why someone, after having an interaction with the police that may have been dramatic, sitting in the ER for days, maybe even being involuntarily medicated or restrained, and then you know maybe being discharged, that person's going to not have a lot of trust in the police the next time they encounter them. So that's like a real bad template for those interactions to continually get worse and worse. Hmm. So if someone like Susan can intervene, if someone like Washington County Mental Health can intervene and kind of get that person treatment in a way that isn't as dramatic, as chaotic, a type of treatment that they actually want or need, you know, they're going to get better and they're not going to keep interacting with the police again and again. When we come back, why the Barry Montpelier model may have its limits. Just a quick message from our underwriters. RK Miles is a third-generation family-owned building material supplier founded in Manchester, Vermont in 1940. The company has become a leader in providing products and services for both residential and commercial building projects, offering lumber, doors and windows, decking, paint, hardware, tools, and so much more. Now with eight Vermont locations, RK Miles is positioned to serve the entire state. See what a difference it makes working with an independent building material supplier. Visit rkmiles.com to learn more and find a location near you. I spoke to kind of a local advocate from the mental health community. I describe myself as right. first and foremost as a mental health and peer support advocate. Dan Tao is a peer support outreach coordinator at the Vermont branch of the National Alliance for Mental Illness. He takes a much more radical perspective. He kind of mentioned that he has a distrust of the mental health system in general, which I can definitely understand when you're describing people being forcibly restrained, medicated, feeling like they don't have control over their lives. But his perspective is that there should be more peer support, people who are in mental health crisis kind of helping each other. From our perspective, the ideal scenario is, is to have peer workers, people who have that, you know, have lived experience and have the training, because I also have training in, in working with people who have mental health conditions and dealing with, you know, um, talking with people who are suicidal or, or want to hurt themselves or hurt others. And that's what NAMI does. They have these peer support groups across the state to try to help people. They run a crisis line to try to help people in crisis as kind of an alternative to calling the police. And he even described an initiative to try to provide like one simple number like 911 
that people could call when they witness someone in a mental health crisis so that there is this kind of automatic bypassing of the police department system in the first place. Or if, you know, the police get involved, it's not at least like the first thing that happens in the process. Hmm. And he said that he also believed that Susan was an improvement to the system. Having the, the mental health crisis work would be part of the mental health care system is a, is a big step in the right direction as opposed to parting from the state. So that, that was a really positive thing um, from our community's perspective is that, is that they did it really under, the, you know, under the umbrella of the mental health community rather than the public law enforcement. So he's saying this seems to be an improvement. Is it the ultimate solution? I don't know. It seems from my conversation with him and from other mental health workers that the solution is having people not get to that crisis point in the first place. Hmm. But obviously that's very difficult, especially in the middle of a pandemic that's caused such an uptick in, you know, people having mental health conditions or people with mental health conditions kind of reaching a breaking point in their condition. Also, you know, both towns have kind of a strain on the resources right now because of the housing crisis. There is a big debate going on in Montpelier over whether they should even be allowing uh, homeless people to camp outdoors. And, you know, what are they going to do about the rise in people who are on the street? So obviously, this is a situation where outreach workers and mental health workers are going to really be needed, Mm -hmm. from what I'm hearing. The more people that are on the street, the more likely there are to just be these initial encounters with law enforcement that could escalate if there's not an effort made to de-escalate? Yeah, obviously not everyone who's unhoused is in the middle of a mental health crisis, but being on the street can obviously exacerbate any problems that you have. And, you know, because they're already in public, obviously the public is more likely to see them, to interact with them, to call 911 in them. So the police have to show up in that situation. You know, if you're on the street, you're also a little less likely to be able to seek mental health treatment. You don't have an address. You don't have a steady access to transportation. You can go off your meds in that situation. So people do seem to be concerned about the rise in homelessness and whether it could lead to a rise in kind of people being in mental health crisis. Got it. Are there other reasons that this is a particularly acute concern right now? Well, another issue that I heard was just the rise in kids going to going into mental health crisis. You know, we I feel like the media talked a lot about the delay in kids in the ER getting into psychiatric hospitals. So they would just spend days in the ER. Like I said, that's not a great um, not a great environment for someone to be in for a long period of time when they're in mental health crisis. And I think what Chief Pete said was that, you know, with kids not going into school as often, they're not interacting with their guidance counselors. And the school resource officer, who is kind of the law enforcement officer for the school, doesn't interact with them either. So it's harder for them to notice and intervene when a kid is having a mental health issue. So there's kind of this pattern of people getting worse and worse before they actually get into mental health treatment. The other timely aspect of this is that we're about a year from the protests over George Floyd's killing by police in Minneapolis and this much broader conversation about police reform, defunding police departments, potentially shifting funding from police departments more into social services. Where does a solution like this, where there's sort of 
positions that are straddling social services and law enforcement fit into that conversation? Yeah, well, neither of the police chiefs I spoke to advocating for cutting their own budgets, um, I will say that. But they both certainly spoke in favor of increasing the budget of Washington County. Um, I think that Pete even mentioned, like, we're having all these conversations about helping people with mental health issues, but Washington County's budget didn't magically get doubled overnight. But at the same time, I do think the police departments feel like they're already working under budget. Certainly the buried police department is understaffed, so that's even more work for fewer officers. So in general, I don't know if the police would agree that they need to be defunded, but I think they just believe that there should be more resources in general in in the whole system to help people from police to mental health services to, I don't know, maybe getting people into housing at the very end of that system. But to them, it seems like the idea that you would just dedicate social workers to some of these calls and take away the law enforcement response, that to them is a non-starter. Yeah, I mean, I will say that that does happen in other states. Um, In the CAHOOTS model, which started in Oregon, social workers and emergency services like EMTs arrive at the scene and there's no police officer involved. Um, I think that in Montpelier, they talked about that option, but decided they wanted to still include the police because of the safety issues. I mean, certainly Susan described, you know, there are some instances where she she feels more comfortable approaching somebody because she has the backup of the police officers if she needs them. So no, I don't think that either any of them would agree that they need to get out of the system entirely. You came to this by having researched and, and studied the progression of fatal police shootings over the past few decades. Is there a sense that this new model might help address that absolute worst case consequence in more of these incidents? I think that there are really two frames that you could see it in. One is whether the police can kind of de-escalate someone who's in a crisis situation to the point where they have a gun and they might be threatening to shoot someone or if they're in like extreme distress versus like the ability of police officers to intervene with someone before they even reach that level. Like the very first time that they ever have a mental health crisis, the the beginnings of their feelings of suicidality or violence or whatever they're going through. And I certainly get the perspective that police officers would rather do that latter option if they can. Hmm. And whether you can de-escalate someone who already has a gun that's just a more challenging, much more charged environment to be in. So hopefully the answer is yes. Better health, mental health treatment, better ways for police to handle someone in that situation will prevent future deaths. But I don't know. The headlines will probably still keep happening, unfortunately. Thanks, Erin. Thank you. You can find Aaron's full report on mental health crisis response in central Vermont at vtdigger.org. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We use music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger newsroom. See you then.